Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. We're so thankful that you're here to hear the word of the Lord as it's going to be preached here in just a moment. I want to take just a second to honor our veterans just for a minute uh, because we have an announcement for them specially, and I never want to never want to skip an opportunity to bless them wonderful people that served our military. There's a, uh, there's a time to honor those who served. It's a, called a military ball. It'll be on Saturday, August the 26th from 5 to 9 in the evening at the Grand Ballroom and Holiday Inn here in Poplar Bluff. There will be a 12-piece orchestra with the Andrews sisters dressed in the era attire providing the military music. Uh, this is a formal event which, which was, uh, with a set-down dinner, and the military men and women are encouraged to wear their uniforms and their medals. They want to honor you. The tickets are $30 per person, limited number of tickets, so you need to get them uh, before the event. And you can call Mickey or Tom Rankin, to Tom's 429-7011, and I would call Mickey if I was you, 429-7012. Uh, they're out to help the veterans in the, the ball, and so if you can do that, man, you'll have a great time, and I know you'll be blessed. We're going to get in the word of the Lord this morning. I'm going to do more teaching than I am preaching. Uh, this kind of turned out a little bit different than the way I was going to do it. As I begin to get into the lampstand, I begin to think about all the symbolisms and all the different things that's going on, and I, I just I just ran out of time. I thought, you know, I cannot uh, continually get to every little piece and every little thing and all that, or we're going to be here in this series for a year. I'm not going to be talking about the knobs. I'm not going to be talking about the six branches, and I'm not going to be talking about the almond. I'm not going to be talking about the seven flames and all of that. We don't have the time, but we are going to get into some few simple things that the Holy Spirit has laid upon my heart. This morning, as you all know, we're on the seventh sermon in our series on the tabernacle and its furnishings in the Old Testament. We've already talked in length about the brazen altar. We've talked about the laver. We've talked about the table of showbread, and we've talked about the altar of incense. And before we explore the candlestick, I want us to understand that these furnishings don't just have spiritual significance to it, but they also have practical uh, emphasis as well. They have practical significance as well as spiritual. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, and you'll probably not hear me mention it very much more, but I believe that it's important to understand the practical usage of these furnishings and the importance that they serve in their day. For so much of the time, you know what we want to do as Pentecostals? We want to over-spiritualize everything, and we miss the practical application of the scripture that God is trying to show us. Sometimes we over-spiritualize things, but at other times uh, we underestimate the spiritual significance of things. And what happens is when we do that, we pay a hefty price because I want to tell you, when the Holy Spirit moves uh, and when there's a spontaneity where God just comes down, if you don't flow with the Holy Spirit, you miss some mighty things. And so we got to watch out and we got to know when to move with the Holy Spirit. For example, let me just give you some examples about the practical use of things. First of all, God tells us to do certain things in the scripture that not necessarily is spiritual, but sometimes there is simply a practical side and use of them, and we do them simply because it's best for us to do it. Can I have an amen? You eat your vegetables because it's a good thing to do, amen? But on the other, t uh, 
there are other times that God tells us not to do certain things, not because they're sinful for us to do and they don't defile us if we do do them, but neither do they commend us to God either if we don't do them. That has nothing to do with our salvation whatsoever. Sometimes we don't do things simply because they're not convenient or they're not profitable for us to do them. And why would any one of us want to do those things that isn't useful to God's kingdom or useful to ourselves? Why would we want to do anything that might hinder us or hurt us or jeopardize our testimony or bring things into question or cause attention to be brought into ourselves or cause us to be a stumbling block to someone else? Why would we want to even attempt to do those kinds of things? Paul even admitted that there were things that he could do lawfully, but it not, might not be ethically for him to do it. As a matter of fact, there were some things that Paul said that he could do lawfully, but there could be things that wouldn't relate to proper etiquette. Matter of fact, it may not fit within the perimeters and the customs and the practices of the religious community. Listen to what Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful for me, but they're not expedient. He said, all things are lawful for me, but all things don't edify. And then what did Paul tell us to do in the book of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26? Let all things be done to edifying. One thing he said, I can do anything. I can, I can do certain things. Uh, it's, not, it's not unlawful for me to do them. But he said, if they don't edify, then why, why do them? He said, let everything be done to edify. Let everything be done to building up the, the man. Paul said that even though certain things may be lawful, yet they may not present themselves in a proper, correct manner. They may not reflect a proper witness that fits the role model of a spiritual Christian. If there's one thing that I want you to understand of most importance is to protect your testimony as a believer. The most spiritual thing that you and I can do is be a proper, upright man that God can, where people can say that is a man of God or that's a woman of God. We don't want to do anything to hinder that testimony. Can you say amen? Everybody with me? Let's look at the natural, physical, functional purpose for these furnishers just in a moment in the holy place. First of all, in the outer court, you had natural light. We understand that. It was the sun that lit up the outside. And in the holy place, we see that it was the lampstand that gave light, which was, other words, other words, a dark, enclosed place. In other words, if, if that candlestick was not lit, you would not have been able to see two inches in front of you. That's how dark that place was. It was enclosed. Its main purpose, this candlelight's main purpose, was to give light so that the priests could see and do their duties. That was the practical use of that candlestick. That candlestick was there so that priest could go about the different different stations to the different furnishings doing his duty as a man of God. The altar of incense served the practical purpose for pleasantly sending the air. Matter of fact, it set atmosphere. It eliminated odors and smell that might have blown in from the outer court because it was a very stinky place. Out there in the outer court, there was burnt animal flesh on the altar. There was guts. There was blood. There was all that kind of a stuff out there. And that altar of incense done nothing more in a practical use of trying to scent the room and to give a sweet-smelling odor. We already told you what all that was symbolic of last week. But the table of showbread in practicality was simply a table that 
held the bread and was served as a serving table for the priest. These items were in many respects used as just ordinary pieces of furniture. However, if that's all that you and I will ever see, then we miss the message from God altogether. And if all we see is us coming in here and hearing a man preach and hearing some good singing and get up and leave, then we miss God altogether. Every time that we come in here, Moses made it plain in his writings as God spoke to him, I want you to make me a tabernacle, God said, so that I might meet you there. God wants to meet with us here this morning. God wants to speak to us here this morning. God wants to touch our lives here this morning. Can I have an, God wants to somehow intervene into your life and begin to get your attention and begin to give you some revelation of spiritual truth. If there's one thing that I know, and that is that God wants us to put aside everything that would hinder us, everything that would close us off to hearing from him, every hindrance, everything that is going to be a roadblock to us, we got to get it put it back and let God speak to us here today because God's got this tabernacle built for us to come together that we might hear from God. Can I have an amen? So let's get into the word of the Lord a little farther. First of all, we see that uh, we, we have both those that want to over-spiritualize everything where there's a devil in a corner and we also have others that don't see the spiritual in anything because the devil isn't seen or even noticed at all. And did you know there's a whole group of people in the Christendom that does not even believe that the devil exists. Come on now. When is the body of Christ going to become balanced and do everything in moderation? That's why the Holy Spirit stayed in my heart. If we want revival, then we got to know how to have revival and we not got to know how to not let things get out of proportion of what God's wanting to do. Can I have an amen? When are we going to become wise as a serpent and yet harmless as a dove? When are we going to learn the difference between the spiritual and the physical? When are we going to learn the difference between that which is sim, sim, uh, a spiritual a move of God and that which is just practical stuff? First of all, the hardest thing for the church to do is to rightly divide the word and stay in balance and keep their equilibrium between the spiritual and the practical and know the difference between the two. When are we going to be able to keep our bearings and manifest a life of peace and rest during opposing forces that are both physical in nature and spiritual in nature. There are times that things happen to me that's just natural. It's just life. There's just times that things happen that it's just me living out life and life has its pitfalls. But on the flip side of the coin, there are some things that happen to me is strictly demonic. And when we're out in Pentecost, sometimes some people, everything's demonic, everything's a devil. And then on the flip side of the coin, to some people, everything's natural. And if you don't come to have a balance and an understanding of the spirit realm, a lot of times we'll never be able to learn how to defeat the different elements that come up against us, whether they be physical or whether they be spiritual. The whole reason that we go into the holy place in the first place is for us to what? Become mature. It's a place that we grow in sanctification. It's a place that we come to know God in a more deeper, richer way. All 
all of the senses of man were ministered to in the daily priestly ritual, sight, smell, healing, hearing, touching, and taste, they were all addressed through these furnishings. I had never seen this before. I had studied the tabernacle my whole, uh, my whole 20-some, uh, 30-some years of pastoring. I've always went back and just kind of refreshed myself in it from time to time, but I never really paid the attention to this until the Holy Spirit showed me. First of all, this is very practical. I want you to see that all five senses of man are seen in the administration of these priests. The sight, the smell, the hearing, the touch, and the taste. The lampstand provided the sight. The altar of incense provided the smell. The table of showbread provided the taste. The bells on the priestly garment that they wore provided the hearing. And all of the furnishings provided touching. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and this is what God wants for the palace of praise. Are you ready? These are symbolic of God meeting and touching all of the five senses of man. So what does that mean? This is symbolic that God is saying to the palace of praise, I want the total man to be healthy, body, soul, and spirit, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. That God wants you to be whole. W-H-O-L-E. Can I have an amen? That God cares about where you're at. God cares what you're going through. God wants you to understand if you're going through mental anguish, if you're going through soulless hurts, if you're going through wounds of, of the past, God wants you to know he's a healer. Can I have an amen? The practical use of the furnishings is one of the most important, significant things that there is because it teaches us that God is not just a God that's concerned about our spiritual life and eternity, but he's also concerned about our total man here and now. That God not only wants you to get to heaven, God wants you to have a little heaven on earth. God wants to bless you. So can somebody say, God wants to bless you. God is not out to let you live through a life of hell for all your life so that you can someday be rewarded in eternity. God wants to bless you. God wants to pour out his spirit upon you. God withholds no good thing to them that walk uprightly. And the steps of a good man are ordained of God. And God wants to pour out his... God wants to share himself with you here today. God wants to meet with you here today. Whether you're in physical anguish or whether you're in spiritual anguish, whether you're in mental anguish, whether you're emotionally uh, basket case right now, I don't care where you're at. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care what happened to you as a child. I'm here to tell you my God cares. He loves you and he wants to get involved. He wants to meet with you here today and he wants to touch your life. Hallelujah. All week I have felt the pain of People in the church, I don't know who you are. I got a call that was very, uh, a text that was very alarming to me. Emmett Smith, uh, Emmett <laughs> Smith, good for him. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? Emmett, I'm sorry. But Emmett had, had texted me, Morgan, and he had talked to, said his, his daughter has got a mass at the, at the base of her brain and is putting pressure upon her spine. And man, I just got such a burden. And I just wept and I've been praying for her. I can't get her off my mind. Her name's Dana. And you know, I got to thinking about Emmett. I got to thinking about him being a father or what he must be going through. 
And I got to thinking about this message and I thought, God, all week you've been speaking to me about this message and I couldn't change it because I wanted to get into deep symbolics of that lampstand so you could learn some things differently than just the normal practicality of it. And the Holy Spirit said, no, this is what I want for my church today. And I want little Dana to know that we're praying for her. I want Emmett to know that God's a healer. I want God to be able to just break in on that situation and that God bring healing and hope us to a daughter. Can I have an amen? But with everything that goes on, it teaches us that God is not just a God concerned about our spiritual lives, but every aspect about us. This means God is a healer, a deliverer, a counselor, a friend, a co-companion, an advocate. Come on, he's whatever we need him to be. He's all in all. He's the fullness of God, of the God for us. Don't tell me that God isn't a healer of mental health. Second Peter chapter, or Second Timothy chapter one verse seven tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power. And what else? A sound mind. I want you to know those that are going through mental anguish, it's real. Mental health is a number one thing right now of, of, of what we're faced with in this country. God is a God of healing of mental health. Can I have a praise to the Lord for that? Amen. Don't tell me there's no such thing as divine physical healing. Some people say, well, the physical healing's gone away with. I beg your pardon. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was our great physician in the New Testament, he's our great physician now. He's our bomb of Gilead. Matthew 4 and 23 says, and Jesus went about all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sicknesses and all manner of diseases among the people. God's a healer. Don't tell me that God is in the deliver outside of just the physical realm. Some people don't even believe in the demonic realm. But Acts 10 and 38 says how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went around doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Can I have an amen? Jesus summed it up when he said in Luke 4, 18 and 19, he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to what? Six things he's anointed him to do to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Figure it out. That's all the needs of man, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. Amen? God is a God that wants to be involved in every part of your life, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I can't get away from that here this morning. Hallelujah. The holy place is designed till we grow up in God. That's why we go into the holy place. It's a place that we begin to mature to where we have a right discernment between the spiritual and the physical world. I want you to know we have a table of showbread, which is what? Representing the word of God. We have the altar of prayer representing communion and fellowship with God. And then we have this candlestick which represents the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, the main role of the Holy Spirit is to teach us and enlighten us in the things of God. That's his main goal. That's his main objective. That's his agenda. You'll never hear him speak of himself. The first thing that we see about the candlestick is it is made from a different pattern than that of the table of showbread and that of the altar of incense. 
And even though the table of showbread and the altar of incense was in a different shape and served different purposes, yet they also had things in common and was made similarity in similarity of each other. For example, they both were made out of shittim wood and overlaid with gold. We talked about how that the shittim wood symbolically in the scripture was also re always representing flesh or man or humanity. And the gold is a symbol of purity. The table of Shobed represented the God-man, Jesus Christ, who was deity robed in humanity and how that he was holy, undefiled as a man separate from sinners. The altar of incense represented humanity praying holy and righteous pure prayers. It was symbolic of righteous people praying the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man which availeth much. That's what that was symbolic of. But as we look into the candlestick, we see that there was no shittim wood, but this candlestick was made of pure gold. There was no other material used. This represents the Holy Spirit to be holy and fully God. There is no humanity in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is 100% spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He's just as much as God as the Father and the Son is. He is the third person of the divine trinity and he is a part of the Godhead bodily. The Godhead is mentioned three times in scripture denoting the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit being one yet three distinct different personalities. Can I have an amen. I'm not here to preach on the Trinity, but I am here to tell you that the Holy Spirit is God. Can I have an amen? The role of the Holy Spirit is found in John 14, verse 16 and 17. And I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, neither seeth him, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he shall be in you. The first thing that Jesus said was, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to pray to the Father, and that Father is going to send you another comforter. The word another is a Greek word that means one of the self-same sort as I am. In other words, Jesus is saying, he's going to send, when I go away, I'm going to pray to the Father, he's going to send you another comforter, and he's going to send you someone that is just like me, that will represent me in everything that he does. The Holy Spirit is one with the Godhead, just like the Father and the Son is one. This is why that 1 John 5 and 7 says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, say three. They are bearing witness in heaven of each other. The Father, the Word of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Say, are one. And then we want, Jesus went on to say in John 15, 26, but when the Comforter is come, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send unto the Father, even the Spirit of truth, whom proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Notice that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will testify of me. The main role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus Christ and his will to us. That is the will of the Holy Spirit. We, us Pentecostals, we like dancing, we like shouting, we like the blessing of the Holy Spirit, and that's very real, and it's very important, but that is not the main role of the church is for God to just come down and be a blesser. He is a divine illuminator of truth. 
Can I have an amen? As a matter of fact, Jesus even told his disciples concerning the Holy Spirit's coming, he says, you're going to know him. Why? Because he says in John 15, 26, and you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. In other words, you're going to know him to be true because he's going to be just like I am. You're going to bear witness of him. The Holy Spirit is only going to point to, reveal, unveil, uncover, manifest Jesus Christ to make him know more, make him known more in a more rich way into our hearts than what we know him just in salvation. How many are saved here today? Wasn't that a glorious feeling and you come to know Jesus? But let me tell you, when you come to meet him at Calvary, you just met him. But I want to tell you, there's a deeper walk and a deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding of who he is. And the only way that you can know who he is is by the person of the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? The Holy Spirit is only going to point, reveal, unveil Jesus Christ. He's only going to bear witness to what Jesus has already said and what Jesus has already declared. As a matter of fact, he even bears witness of your salvation. You know how I know that? The Spirit himself beareth witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. You wouldn't even know you're a child of God if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit testifying of it. He will not only have any he will not have any other agenda the Holy Spirit won't but to make Jesus known and to help humanity fulfill the law of Christ and the will of Christ for the kingdom of God. That's what the Holy Spirit's about. The Holy Spirit is not here to entertain us. The Holy Spirit is here to enlighten us. And in the enlightenment becomes entertainment. Amen. This is why that Jesus said in John 14:26 but the comforter, say the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, he says, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance of whatsoever I have said unto you. According to Jesus, the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit in his name on his behalf for one purpose and one reason only, that he might teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance of what Christ has already told us, of what Christ has already declared and said about us. The Holy Spirit will not promote any other gospel. He will never have an agenda of his own. He will never speak of himself, and he will never say anything that is contradictive to what Jesus has already spoken. The Holy Spirit will not say anything that will contradict the written word of God in any fashion, form, or way because Jesus is the word. I hear people all the time say, well, this took place in my life. And when you look at it in a biblical, uh, a, a biblical way, you say, no, that's impossible. Don't tell me it's impossible. I know what I felt. I don't care what you felt. It's a false impression if it goes against the word of God. The Holy Spirit will never do anything outside of what's already written in these scriptures. Can I have an Amen. This is why that Jesus also said in John 16, verse 13 and 14, how be it when he is come, he will guide you into all truth. Aren't you thankful for a God that leads you into all truth? For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. Notice that Jesus used the personal pronoun he to describe the Holy Spirit seven times just in these two passages of scriptures alone. The Holy Spirit is not a it. He's not just expressed energy, even though he energizes. He's just not power, though he's all powerful and you feel his power. He's not just anointing, even though he's anointed. He's not just a feeling, even though he can be felt. 
The Holy Spirit is a he. He is a person. He can speak. He can testify. That's why Jesus said, he shall testify in me. One of the reasons that sometimes a Holy Spirit grieves in a service is because we treat him so much less than God. When the Holy Spirit moves, that's God moving. It's not just a feeling. It's not just emotion. It's not just a wind. It's not just an it. It's God revealing himself through the person of the Holy Spirit. We are to reverence him. We're to fear him. We're to love him. We're to adore him. We're to respect him. We're to honor him. Come on, somebody. When the Holy Spirit hits this place, we need a holy reverence to that move of God. And there's some people just don't even recognize it's even moving. God help us. This Holy Spirit can be received by believers. That's why that Jesus said in John 20 and 22, he breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. That's why that Jesus said before he left in Acts 1, verse 4 and 5, being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me, for John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from hence. Listen to what Peter said in Acts 2, verse 38 and 39. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to your children's children, to all them that are afar off, even as the many as the Lord our God shall call. He can be received because his, he is a gift. Peter called him the gift of the Holy Ghost. As a matter of fact, Acts 1 and 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And what will happen upon receiving him? He will testify of Jesus, and he will cause us to be witnesses unto him. We'll be the, we will be the wick upon the candle. We'll be a city set on a hill, a light that cannot be hid. Amen. The Holy Spirit again speaks of him and reveals him and testifies of only Jesus. And the only way that I can fully understand and know Jesus is through this person of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I cannot even receive Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit drawing me, I can't even be saved. As a matter of fact, listen to what Jesus said in John 16, verse 7 through 13. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he'll reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not upon me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and they see me no more. And of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes and he convinces and he convicts and he draws and illuminates and enlightens the person of Jesus Christ. He brings us to him. Can I have an Amen. You know, Jesus' work of redemption had to be accomplished before the Holy Spirit could come because there would be no place for the Holy Spirit to lead anybody to. He would not be able to reprove the word of sin and of righteousness and of judgment because redemption would not have been completed yet because I want to tell you, redemption was not completed until that tabernacle that is in the heavenlies, Jesus walked into it with his own blood and placed it at the mercy seat of God. And it was at that point that we were redeemed. And it was at that point that God could send the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit could bring us to the redemption plan of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody praise him in this house. I'm trying to go slow. 
Then listen to what Jesus said in verses 12 to 14. Now I'll get back to them in a minute, but I want to read them right now. I have yet many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. He's talking to his disciples. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he heareth, that shall he speak, he will show you things to come. He shall receive the mind and show it unto you. Now, in the courtyard, you had that natural light. And this is why there was so much carnality and brazen, repentive altar prayers because everything they prayed out there was all redemptive, redemptive in nature. God forgive me. God deliver me. God save me. Come on. It was walling around at the altar of redemption. Man is void of divine enlightenment and he doesn't fully understand Jesus Christ without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why there's so much carnality and that's why there is so much failure is because too many people are trying to understand God through the natural mind and not the spiritual mind. The natural mind is an enmity against God. It is not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed. It cannot understand God without the help of the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Notice that the candlestick and the table of showbread was parallel from each other. You remember how that the altar of incense stood parallel to the Ark of the Covenant, which was behind the veil? which represented our prayers standing as a sweet-smelling incense before God continually because Jesus was forever interceding for us before the Father on our behalf. In other words, when that priest stood representing Jesus Christ at that altar of incense, there was the veil, and right behind it was the altar of incense. And as he began to do those incense, it was like our prayers, a sweet-smelling aroma, standing before the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of Mercy. It was Jesus interceding to the Father that you and I might obtain mercy in our time of need. Oh, give God praise for that. However, though they were in alignment of each other, <laughs> our prayers then were accepted with God. The Holy Spirit now stands parallel to the word, the word, the table of showbread. The candlestick is on the west side and the other, uh, the, the table of showbread is on the east side so they're in alignment with each other. So what is that doing? The Holy Spirit enlightens us to the scripture so that you and I can understand it to where we can come to know God. It's only by the revealed word that you and I can come into a deep relationship with the Lord. John 5 and 39, Jesus has searched the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. He says, and they are they which testify of me. He said, these words testify who I am and it's in these words you find eternal life. Amen? The word is the revelation of Jesus Christ. You want to know Jesus? Come to know the word. Amen? He is the word. You cannot understand the word with natural light only. You need the illuminating, overwhelming enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the word of God is spiritual and only the spirit can reveal it and uncover its full intent. Amen? The Holy Spirit, how many knows that the Holy Spirit's the author of the word? And only the author can really reveal the true intent of what's in his book. Amen? That's why 2 Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of men. It wasn't just the handwriting of these people. But holy men of God spank as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. 
Every single one of these pages are inspired of God. Every letter, every, every tot, every tittle, everything in that scripture is breathed by God. It's inspired of the Lord. This is the oldest living organism on the face of the earth. The word of God is alive. It's life to those that hear it and digest it and eat it. That's why Jesus said in John 6 and 63, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing, but the words I speak unto you, they are spirit. These are spiritual. They are spirit and they are life, he said. The word is spirit and only way to know the word is through the spirit. Come on, I'm trying to help us here. You cannot fully understand God with natural light alone. You can't do it in man's wisdom. You have people that's got Harvard education, some of the highest learning in the world, and yet they're so naive to what the Word of God says. I get so tickled at these big hotshot lawyer politicians, and they'll use the word they think to their advantage, and they'll quote it, and they'll, they don't even know what it means, and the very thing they think is help embracing their idea is actually tearing it down. Come on, somebody, because they take the scripture out of context. We'll look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11 through 14. For what man knoweth the things of a man except by the spirit of man that dwells within him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but by the spirit of God. You can't know anything about God without the spirit of God. Now, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Why did he give us the spirit? So that we might know him. That's why he's came, to reveal God to us. Which things also we speak, not in the words with man's wisdom teaching us, but which the Holy Ghost teaches us, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. In other words, he's teaching us how to rightly divide the word of God. He's teaching us to rightly divide that which is practical and spiritual. He's beginning to show us what is of the spirit world and what's of the natural world. But then he says in verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God for they're foolish unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Folks, I cannot read that word of God and understand it with my own natural ability by itself. My education may help me read, but I want to tell you, I'm uh, telling you, it's not the education that's helping me understand the proper usage of that scripture. It is the enlightenment and the ability of the Holy Spirit to speak and guide me into all truth and bring these pages alive in my heart. Amen? Did you know that it is very possible, you and I, that we can know more about the word of God than what the disciples ever knew about him? As a matter of fact, did you know it's possible that we can understand more of the word, the written word, than those that even wrote it? I'm going to quote the scripture again that Jesus said in John 6 and 13. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. We always say, oh, I wish I was there, and I wish I could have sat down with Jesus, and I wish I could have heard his teachings. And yet he looks at those that didn't say, you know, I got a lot more to tell you, but you can't bear them. But the future generation is going to be able to hear them. We have more insight in the word of God than they did. Woo! We always talk about how 
spiritual they are. We're to be more spiritual. We talk about all the things that they've done and many more things than these shall you do. Why? Because you and I have more of a knowledge and more of an understanding of what God's up to and what his will is in the earth than what the disciples ever even thought of. They only seen through a glass darkly. Oh my goodness, come on somebody. We not only have the complete word of God come together, but we also have the enlightenment and the illumination of the Holy Spirit over a span of years where men have been taught and trained and they're passing that knowledge down to us. So you and I have more of a complete vision of who God and what God's up to than anybody on the planet Earth. Amen. That's why John 14, 26 says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance of whatsoever I've commanded you. Oh my, have you ever had the prompting of the Holy Spirit? How many said the prompting of the Holy Spirit? It's kind of funny, my son sold a car here just recently to a family. They were buying it for their young daughter. I never met her. He was just telling me about it. And immediately, upon hearing about this young girl buying that car, I got burdened for her. Don't know who she is, never seen her, don't even know her name. And I've just been quietly praying about it. I've just been, Lord, I don't know what it is, but I'm burdened to protect that girl. Lord, when she's traveling in that car, put an angels of the Lord around about her. Let the angels of the Lord encamp around about her. I'm praying, God, help her to be watchful. Help her to be sober. Help her to be protected, Lord. I'm just, I'm just praying all these kinds of prayers for her. And all of a sudden, I said, you know, me and Sam was together. And I said, Sam, I don't know what it is, but ever since you sold that car to that young girl, I've, I felt the burden to pray. He said, that's so odd, me too. He said, man, the Lord's had me praying for that girl. And I thought, that is how wonderful the Holy Spirit is, that he's so personable. He's so rich and he cares so much about people that what does he do? He sits out and guides us into all truth to pray for her to what? Protect her that she might fulfill the law of Christ in her life. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise. The Holy Spirit also has feelings. He can be grieved. He can be hurt. He can even weep. That's why the Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit can not only be received, but he can also be ignored and rejected. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19, quench not the Spirit. It was Stephen that said in Acts 7, 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. Now this is what the Holy Spirit wanted me to say. The candlestick serves as the person for only one thing. It's almost like he wouldn't let me go into those other symbolics. And that is to do nothing more than to enlighten you to God. He brightens it up, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That as you read the word, as you pray, you know, even when you pray, the Holy Spirit moves with groanings and moaners. He even helps you to pray the will of God. Come on, somebody. How powerful is this wonderful heavenly intercessor? What is really a great concern of mine is that we have several different generational ages in the church world today 
that seem to think that the things of the Spirit are not necessary, important, or relevant to the way of life in the 21st century. People are wanting to find a feel-good church where there's really no conviction. They don't want to be challenged. Come on. Just let me find something to where I can be left off. One of the greatest acts of judgment on the planet Earth is God allowing you to just to be you without him interfering. I say, oh God, convict me. God put roadblocks up. God, use a mule to speak to me if you have to. God, use a rooster like you did to, to, to Peter. God, I don't care if an animal has to come up and say, hey, kid, God's trying to get your attention. Let a donkey like Balaam, let that bonk donkey stop him from doing something that he shouldn't do. Come on, somebody. One of the greatest judgments that there is is for God just to leave you alone. And yet we come into the house of God, we say, oh, we don't want him to leave us alone. But the first time he moves, we clam up. We quench, we resist, we ignore. We get frigidy. Come on. It'll cause you to go to the bathroom when you don't need to go to the bathroom. It'll cause you to pick up the kid because he's, he's or she is, you know, uh, disturbing the people around him when in reality the kid's asleep. It'll make you make all kinds of excuses when the spirit begins to nudge you and edge in you in areas that is challenging to you. Come on. We say we want revival. We say we want our nation to change. We say we really want something. But do we really, or if we really did, this place would be blown apart every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, because there'd be moves of God that could not house all the people simply because the people of God are sensitive to the Holy Spirit because it's the will of God for the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus Christ on a regular basis to us. Oh, God help us. A lot of people don't want to look into the things of the Spirit. They don't want to seek him out. They don't want to put any time into it. They have no interest at all. On many occasions, they even despise the things of the Holy Spirit. God can move in some weird ways, and they don't want to look weird. You don't have to worry about that. The Holy Spirit's a perfect gentleman. He'll never do anything to embarrass you. Amen? Oh, I've been knocked flat on my back and rolled and changed and bill phone and everything, rolled plumb out of my pockets, and I had snot from ear to ear, and my hair all plastered with snot. said, that didn't embarrass you. It would have in a natural sense, but after it happened to me, I said, oh, God, let me experience that again. Amen? Is anybody getting this this morning? A lot of people think the things of the Pentecost is outdated and old-fashioned. They despise Pentecost to a certain extent. And the reason they despise Pentecost is they despise what we stand for. I'm getting ahead of my sermon just a little bit. I may mention this a little bit later on. But I want to tell you something. There's difference between Pentecostalism than any other Protestant church on the face of the earth. Amen? Most Protestant churches don't get the fruits and the flakes and the nuts. Amen. 
We do. Some of the most weird, strangest things happen in Pentecostal circles. And everybody don't understand it. And that's why they don't like Pentecost. Well, that's the job of a pastor to pastor and deal with it discreetly and lovingly and the things that go on that you think is not being brought under discipline. If you'll give this staff time, we'll discipline it if it's out of order. But we're not there to destroy and crush somebody. We're there to enlighten them lovingly if possible. If we have to get stern and rebuke, we can. Can I have an amen? Everybody wants to know why Washington is so corrupt and so evil, so dark, and why there's so much nutty people up there. I mean, you have to be nuts if you think that you're a girl when you're a man. That's mental health. Some of it's demonic. I want to say it for what it is. God loves them. I'm not here to criticize them, but I'm here to tell you it's not normal. And we don't have to buy into that junk. Everybody says, well, why is it that all the flakes and fruits and nuts seem to congregate up there? Because Washington is the center of power. And they're attracted to power. Why do the fruits and the flakes and the nuts come to Pentecostal churches? Because of the power! They're attracted to power! They know if there's any way of hope of ever getting over something, they know that's the place they can find it! Can I have an amen? You put out a porch light, honey, and it's gonna draw the bugs. That's why that we want to put a porch light out. Let the bugs come because the Holy Spirit can take them and transform them and renew them and save them and deliver them and make them new creatures in Christ Jesus. That's what this is all about. Can I have an amen? I don't understand why there's absolutely no interest in some people of the things of the Spirit. They want clean lives. They want to be, you know, important people, business people. They want to have good names. And sometimes they'll say, where do you go to church at? Well, we go to Palace Praise. Well, what is that? Is that a Baptist church? Um, Pentecostal. <laughs> what? Pentecostal. Did I hear you right? But they'll, they'll, they'll tiptoe around forever. We go to the palace of praise. Oh, what kind of church is that? Church of God. <laughs> Was the church of God out of Anderson, Indiana, or is it out of Cleveland, Tennessee? That's kind of distinction. Well, Cleveland. So you're a Pentecostal? Well, I go there. Unequivocally, I stand before you and I say, I am a Pentecostal preacher. I am not ashamed of the power of God, for it is the only hope that the world has. Pentecostalism is alive and well, and the Holy Ghost is real. 
Hallelujah. They asked Sammy Rodriguez the other day, and I heard his sermon, it just blessed my soul. He went to a church, and one of the members come up and said, we lean to the left, how do you lean? He said, the Holy Spirit said, tell him, Sammy. Oh, Lord. You don't want me to tell him, Lord. Tell him, Sammy. We lean to the left, how do you lean? He said, we don't lean. We don't lean to the left. We don't lean to the right. We stand and what's sin is sin. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. What's black is black. And what's white is white. <laughs> Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, there are some people that don't want to look into it, have no interest. They despise it. When things get hot, they slip out. Things of the spirit are foreign to them. Why? Because they're carnally. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolish unto him. They look, what's that all about? Ask the man that gets up delivered of why he was slain in the Spirit. Ask the woman that was full of oppression and fear for 10 years that she's now laughing in the spirit. Come on. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to close here. If we want revival, then we gotta get sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because if we have not the spirit of God, we're none of his. Can I have an amen? You cannot even discern God's presence without a proper sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. When God begins to move among us, you can see some people detect it just like that. And other people are bored stiff with it. Don't even, don't even recognize God there. They're so clueless because there is a intersensitivity in the other person because there's an illuminating enlightenment of the Holy Spirit's anointing upon that individual's life. He houses the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit leads him and guides him and directs him. And it confirms to him and testifies to him of the things that be of God and the things that are not. Sometimes in the spirit realm, it takes us some time to discern. The apostle Paul went for several days with a demonic woman going around praising him, saying all the right stuff. Sometimes demons don't always come out and say vile, ugly things and use four-letter words. Sometimes they're hid, and sometimes they're disguised. Come on. And this spirit was disguised from the apostle Paul. And as he would go around and preach, he'd say, oh, most holy man of God. Most holy man of God. And he'd brag, she'd brag on him in front of everybody. And finally, he got enough of it and hit him. I ain't to be brought attention to. This is demonic. And he turned around and he cast the demon out of the woman. Come on, sometimes it may take us a few times to figure it out, but there's a discernment there. God is asking this church to get under the divine leadership of the Holy Spirit to where we can discern between good and bad, right and wrong. And those very sensitive times when you're trying to figure things out, when the service is just right at the edge, 
You feel it, you sense it, but you just don't know. We need clarity of the Holy Spirit at that moment more than ever. For we dare not quench the Spirit or ignore the Spirit and not try to press our way into it and let the Holy Spirit lift because he gets tired of sitting there wooing at us without us responding and we miss a move of God. Would you stand with me this morning? I've given you sound truth here today. Biblical truth. Do we want it? Right now there's a candlestick burning. That burning light to enlighten the Holy Spirit. And you don't get it in one trip. You don't get it in two trips. It's a lifetime of ever growing and learning and moving and, and growing and, and shaping and and it's, it's molding our lives. He's sanctifying us. Sanctification is a process in the sense that we're ever growing in it and we're ever moving in it. Amen? Amen. And we are in that holy place here this morning, that tabernacle where we're saying we don't want to live at the brazen altar. But in order for us to be able to live inside that holy place, we got to have the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. we got to have a relationship with the third person called the Holy Ghost. We gotta have a relationship with the Spirit of God, folks. And it's gotta be real, it's gotta be authentic. I'm so tired of people saying, you know, uh, I, I just don't know what's of God and what's not of God. We ought to know. The Holy Spirit will reveal those things to us. Amen. There's been times that something happened in our service I'd be so grieved. I think that ain't right. That's just not right. And I pray about it. God, you show me as a pastor when and how I got to deal with it. And sometimes God deals with it and it just goes away. And other times I have to get behind the scenes and I have to go visit some people. Amen? But at other times, I see people dripping hot but afraid to express themselves. Don't be afraid. Oh, Holy Ghost. Right now, the Holy Spirit's just coming in here right now. I, I, feel the, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. Oh, lift your hands and honor him here this morning. Now in obedience to him, would you with lifted up hands come as a sign of surrender to the altar and say, now, Father, begin to minister to me through the person of the Holy Spirit. Begin to enlighten me. Lift your hands as you come into surrenderance. Say, here I am, Lord. Begin to enlighten me. Begin to pursue me, God. God, just begin to do a work in my day. Begin to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Begin to renew me in the Holy Spirit. Begin to do your work in me. Enlighten me to the things of the Holy Ghost and to the written word of God. Oh, Holy Spirit, right now I pray over this congregation. In the name of Jesus, let the anointing of the Holy Ghost fall upon people. Don't just stand there. Pursue him. Don't just wait upon him to jump on you. Invite him in. Begin to beg for him and his presence. Beseech him. Say, I love you, Lord. I want you, Lord. I'm hungry for you. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They'll be filled. Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, right now. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> Holy Spirit.
Holy Ghost. You're touching him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, you're touching your people. The steps of this man are ordered of the Lord God. And the enemies tried to take him out. And the enemies tried to set him up. And the enemies tried to put him away. Oh, but God, you got a better plan. You got a better way. And the enlightenment of the Holy Ghost is going to lead him in all truth from this day forward. Woo, Holy Ghost. Touch right now, right here. Right here. Right here, Holy Spirit. Lord, let your will be done. Let your will be done. Oh, let your will be done. Let your will be done, oh God. Oh, oh Lord, he's, he's searching. He's, he's reaching out. Now, Father, just enlighten him. Be letting him have that move of God. Oh, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. He, come on, Dwayne. He's all over you. <laughs> oh, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Move. Move, oh, Holy Ghost. Move, oh, Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. You're real. You're real in his life. Now, God, bring him to a greater depth than he's ever been before. Let him swim, not in shin-deep water or knee-deep water or even waist. Let him get over his head. In the name of Jesus. Oh, God. Touch him. Touch him, God. God is In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. <laughs> Holy Spirit, by your church, by your goodness, God, by your goodness, God. Oh,
Ghost lovers in this place, give him a yell. Give him a praise. I sure don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. He's moving all over the people. There's people everywhere getting the touch of the Holy Spirit. He's so gentle. He's so kind. Sometimes he moves in outburstous ways where it's great loud noises. And other times it's just a gentle touch, a gentle breeze, and a still small voice. But regardless of how he moves, he brings life to everything he touches. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and give them a high five and tell them, receive ye the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. God bless you.